Well, we are continuing our Advent and Christmas series this week. From Advent until the Sunday after Christmas, we're going to be looking at these familiar stories about Jesus' birth from Luke's gospel, but we're going to be looking at them from a different vantage point. Each week, we will look at an Old Testament passage with the stories in Luke, and what we're going to see is a wider scope of what God has been up to all throughout history. We want to look at the story behind the greatest story ever told, and not only how Jesus Christ coming into the world changes our lives, but it changes everything. It changes everything after His coming, and it changes even how we understand everything before His coming. So last week, Pastor Michael showed us how the words of Isaiah that he spoke 700 years before Jesus not only prophesied about Jesus coming into the world, but at that time actually gave God's people a foretaste, or if you like, a deposit upon a fuller payment that God would make for redemption when Jesus Christ comes into the world. A redemption that Christ would purchase at His birth, by His life, in His death, and through His resurrection that we continue to experience to this day. So this week, we want to turn our attention not to words that God spoke to a powerful king, but to two songs from women in the country, Hannah and Mary. You learned something new today. There's country music in the Bible. You could share this at your holiday parties in the next couple weeks. You'll be the hit of the scene, I promise, I promise. So the first thing we need to note here is that between Hannah's song and Mary's song is about a thousand years. A thousand years. Think about how much has changed for Israel's history. They saw the rise and fall of kings. They saw the rise and fall of the nation itself. The people went into exile. Some of the people were turned back from exile. So much had changed for them. But through all the ups and downs of history, God never veered off course, not for a moment. His covenant love remained constant and immovable, unfolding exactly as He had planned. You know, songs can give us a new perspective. And these inspired songs we're going to be looking at today will give us something even better than a new perspective. They're going to give us God's perspective about the most important things. So as we start another week this holiday season, let's look at Hannah and Mary's songs together to see what matters most to God. We'll start with Hannah. First Samuel 1 tells us that Hannah is a young woman She is one of the wives of a man named Elkanah, and Hannah is deeply devoted to God, and Elkanah loves her very much. But to Hannah's shame, she is infertile. Psalm 127 verse 3 says this, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. This was a reward that Hannah never knew, and desperately wanted to see. And to make matters worse, 
Elkanah's other wife, Peninnah, gave birth to several children. You see, sons and daughters filled Hannah's home, but none of them were her own. And on top of that, Peninnah was particularly cruel about it. To Hannah's shame, she added insult. And each year when the family would go up to the city to offer sacrifice and worship to God, Peninnah would mix her praises to God with criticisms of Hannah about how she was infernal. And Hannah was so devastated that when it came time to eat something during the ritual sacrifice, she couldn't eat because she was so sad. Her tears were her food. Rather than joining others in the pews for worship, she sat outside the doorway and rumbled prayers to herself quietly while the rest of the congregation sang her heart out, sang their hearts out. One of the major themes of 1 Samuel is the powerful kingship that will arise in Israel. How that kingship will display God's power and how eventually Israel would be united into a powerful kingdom. So why does 1 Samuel start in this way? Because Hannah in her shame and in her sadness is a picture of Israel's state before God intervenes for them. Before Israel had a king, they were a weak collection of tribes who won battles here and there against their enemies, but they were nothing much to speak of as a, as a nation. They lacked the power and security of being a united nation by God's chosen king. So their future, like Hannah's womb, was closed off, and other nations would deride them for their low status. But God did not forget Israel, and he didn't forget Hannah. God would grant her a son to raise up a nation. You see, her whimpering prayers in the back of the church turned into lead solos in the front of the church because God provided in a wonderful way. And that's the song that we have in the scriptures for us because God answered her prayer, and not just her prayer, the prayer of the nation. First Samuel tells us that Hannah would bear not just a child, but six children. And not just children, but sons. A special blessing in those days. And not just any son, but a son who would be a prophet, who would anoint the kings of Israel. And his name was Samuel. Psalm 113.9 says this, He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. That's a song that Hannah can now sing. Now I know that as I share this story about Hannah this morning, there are people here who are like Hannah. After many years of praying to have children, God granted you what you most wanted, and you could relate to Hannah's joy. But there are others of you who can relate only to the first part of this story about Hannah. The children you want to have or wanted to have, God has not given you. And this kind of grief, husbands can experience too. And whether your story is like the second half of the story or remains like the first half, God has not forgotten you. 
The first chapter of Samuel does not start with the loud victory of kings, but with God drawing near to a forlorn woman, a person deep into distress. Though your requests have not been answered, on page one of the story, we see that God has set his affections upon you. John Calvin, the Genevan reformer, experienced the loss of all his children in infancy and also had to bury his wife. He never married a second time. And after the loss of his wife, after all these losses he experienced in his life, he wrote this to his friend. May the Lord Jesus strengthen you by his spirit, and may he support me also under his heavy affliction, which would certainly have overcome me had not he who raises up the prostrate strengthen the weak and refreshes the weary stretch forth his hand from heaven to me. While we are waiting for God to provide or mourning a loss, God's supply of comfort is abundant. Now as we look at Hannah's song, right away she teaches us a critical lesson about the spiritual life. Though her song rejoices in the news that God has granted her a son, her greatest joy is actually in God. She says in verse 1, My heart exalts in the Lord. My strength is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. She is grateful for the gift, but even more grateful she is for the gift giver. You know, one year for Christmas, we, we gave one of our little daughters a toy. She was about two at the time, and um, she happily tore off the wrapping paper, you know, all the joy in tearing off the wrapping paper. And then she gets to the toy, and her eyes light up. She was so happy. And I remember thinking to myself, look how happy she is. We're great parents. I may be the world's greatest dad in this moment. I know exactly what my daughter loves. When I looked away for a moment to take a sip of my coffee and I looked back up, she had pushed the toy away and she starts playing with the box. The box has become the star of the show. So I try to push the toy back to her. Nope, she'll have none of it. And the cardboard box remained all the rage. I even know how to give good boxes. No, that's not what I said. In some ways, all of us are just like this. God gives us something good, maybe something we've been praying for for a long time, and our gratitude is short-lived. There's years of groaning for something, but when it finally comes, there's only short moments of gratitude. And not only that, oftentimes we delight in the wrong things. We delight our heart more in the gift rather than seeing this as an opportunity to praise God all the more for who he is. So Hannah boasts in God, and she continues that in verse 2. She says, There is none holy like the Lord, and there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. To say that God is holy means that he is unsurpassed in his moral beauty and character. He is lifted up and set apart from everyone else and everything. To say that God is a rock means that he is more sturdy in the pew 
more sturdy than the pew you are sitting in right now. He's more reliable as a strong foundation than the, wall, than the foundation that holds up your house. And God is not just strong for a lifetime. He is strong for generation after generation. He is strong for all time, even throughout eternity. So Hannah's boast is not in herself. It's not in her son, but in God who is worth all praising. She does go on to proclaim the wonderful works of God as well. Namely, that God is the one who balances the scales of justice in the world. In verse 4 and 5, The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. We just spoke of God's strength, and here we see that God uses his strength to make things right. He uses his power to move creation, to move his creatures, to reflect his own moral beauty and goodness. And in order to do that, he must overthrow the powers of darkness, of sin and death within us and throughout our world. Let's take for a moment to consider, let's take for a moment to consider just how twisted evil, uh, just how twisted of a grip evil has on our world. All you need to really do is look at the news headlines. But what's really interesting is that if you look at injustices throughout history, you will see nearly in every case, perpetrators have always concocted some good reason to justify their evil. Unjust wars are conducted to liberate nations. Racial prejudice has been justified to maintain the purity of groups and to keep the separateness of people. Pollution of oceans is justified by dealing with trash problems, and these are just a few problems on a big scale. But let's look at this problem a little closer to home. Let's look at our own hearts for a moment. Haven't you ever done something evil, something to hurt another person, all the while thinking you were in the right or were good to do that? You had good reasons to do it? You said those words to a coworker that damaged the relationship, but it felt so good and right in the moment. You took advantage of a situation uh, because no one was looking. It seemed like it's just what needed to be done. Evil justified in the name of good, supposedly. Now, if on a societal scale and on an individual scale we do evil in the name of good, how can we have any hope for a just world? If we, the actors who are trying to make the world just, in our sense of rightness do the wrong, what hope is there for a just world? Only if there is a good God above history working out his plan. That's the only basis for hope for a just world. A God who uses his strength to overthrow evil. And that's exactly uh, what Hannah tells us we have in the God of Israel. We can be confident about the future because there is a God who is better than our best efforts 
and who is more powerful than our worst evil, he will triumph in the end. Martin Luther King Jr. put it so well when he said this, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it does bend towards justice. Sometimes as Christians, we can be accused of having old, worn-out ideas. The truth is that when we do good for others in the name of Jesus, we are living out in the present the future of God's kingdom. You see, the latest app, game, or device, whether Twitter will last now or not, that will come and go. But doing good in the name of Jesus within your family, for your classmates, in the community, putting your efforts towards causes that God cares about, sharing your faith, that's the wave of the future. That's what's coming down the road. Now, in Hannah's context, this picture of God's victory means that God would provide a child for her and that Peninnah's cruelty would not have the last word in her life. And later on in Hannah's time, uh, Hannah's song becomes the anthem of Israel's rising. You see, God will defeat Israel's surrounding enemies and establish a triumphant kingdom. Look at the very last words of Hannah's song in verse 10. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the power of his anointed. If you put that last line another way, here's what it sounds like. God will give strength to his kin and exalt the power of his Messiah. If you take it from the Hebrew. If you take it from the Greek and exalt the power of of his Christ. The church father Augustine says it well. In Hannah's words, we hear the revealing of the Christian religion itself. In other words, Hannah's great hope that God would bring such a kingdom would be through a triumphant king. And Hannah's son would anoint the greatest king of Israel, David. He would fight off thousands of enemies. He would slay a giant. He would make Israel into United Kingdom, but there was another king that was to come. And for a thousand years, the notes of Hannah's song would hang in the air until another woman would pick up that same song. And that's Mary, a teenager from the country town of Nazareth. And as we read last week, the angel told her that God would give her would give her a son through the impossible, not through her infertility like Hannah, but through her virginity. And this son wouldn't anoint the king, this son would be the king of kings. And not just over Israel, but over all the nations. Good news for all people everywhere. And the God above history that Hannah sang about through Mary, God will now enter into history. And his DNA would come from her, though he is Lord over her. In Jesus Christ, God becomes what he was not, becomes a human, while never ceasing to be who he was and is. He's eternal God. You know, at presidential inaugurations, 
in weddings and funerals, even at holiday parties or at soccer matches, right? You hear these joyous events and, and you, you, you see these events and there's joyous notes and solemn praise. And some moments in life just demand that we sing. Words are just not enough. We need to sing about it. And that's what Mary does. Her song is one of joy and solemnity together on a level we have never seen before because the greatest mystery of all of time is being revealed to her and will come through her. You hear this in her opening verse. She echoes Hannah's opening. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Like Israel, like Hannah, Mary needs a Savior. Like Hannah, she boasts in God. But to Mary's great delight, the gift giver himself has now become the gift. And this is wonderful news. And it has come at just the right time for Mary because you see, Hannah lived in a dangerous time and dangerous place. Israel was surrounded by enemies. And Mary's time was very much the same. She was a teenage Jewish girl surrounded by powerful Gentile men. She lived under the ruthless and greedy greedy rule of both Roman and Jewish kings and governors. Life was not stable and life was not safe for her. You know, we avoid, don't we, the unstable and the unsafe. But God did not avoid. He intervened. And through Jesus, God would bring his gracious rule to earth. If you were to ask people around the world today, which of these powerful people have, have you heard of? King Herod? Augustus Caesar? Or Mary, the mother of Jesus? Well, the artwork and the church icons and songs over the past 2,000 years tells us the answer. It's the teenage girl and her son who wins the day. There is no contest. In Mary's words in verse 48, she says this, For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. What this means for us is that God really does keep his promises. At different points in life, we can lose our bearings. As far as I know, there is no manual to follow about what we should do in life in our 30s or 40s or 50s. Sometimes to figure that out, we look to other people and compare compare ourselves, and that's never a good idea. We may have ideas and dreams, but very often God has other plans. And one of the reasons that God has given us Scripture is to show us how over thousands of years, God's plans never fail. Our personal plans may fail or may be delayed. But as people of faith, if we are committed to living out God's plans, no matter what happens, we are on the right track. You know, this is an assurance that many of our friends and neighbors They don't have that. There are many people who really do believe that a loss of a job or a failing grade 
or a bad medical diagnosis or problems in, in their home really will be the end of them. But God's good promises throughout history show us time and time again that his promises are bigger than our current problems. And God's promise to Mary and Jesus coming into the world shows us just that. Now, as we look more closely at Mary's song, we see so many compliments to Hannah's. So much so, it sounds like a duet. Like Hannah, Mary sings about the holiness of God, how he exalts the humble, how he humbles the proud, and it's almost a line-by-line echo of Hannah's song. But there are two major differences here that I want to point out. When Hannah prays, the Lord makes poor and makes rich, He brings low and he exalts. Mary prays this instead. God has brought down the mighty from their thrones and has exalted those of humble estate. You see, where Hannah anticipates good news, Mary says it's already a done deal. It's a sure thing. Why? Because the birth of Jesus, the king, means the world will now turn for him and not any ruler or power in this world. He sets the agenda. In our culture, we really value ambition. Lots of movies, shows, and documentaries that more or less say, blessed are the ambitious and ambition can be a wonderful thing so long as we remember There is another who sets the agenda. Where we are ambitious and driven by Jesus' agenda, it will produce good in the lives of others and in our world. But if we are ambitious and driven by our own wants and desires, what ends up happening is the very opposite of Mary's Magnificat. We applaud and reward the proud and further crush those who are brought low. So I want to ask you this morning, what does your ambition create? Who gets helped by what you want to do? And who gets hurt? Let the fact that Jesus Christ is king sanctify your ambitions for your life. Because his agenda is a done deal, as Mary shows us. It's the only agenda that will win in the end. Now, there's another difference between Hannah and Mary's song. The child in Mary's womb enfleshed the holiness, justice, and mercy of God like no other person ever has. And why this is such good news, not just this season, but through all of time, why this is such good news is because we really don't have to wonder where God is found or what God is really like. When Scottish theologian Thomas Torrance was a young army chaplain, he held the hand of a dying 19-year-old soldier on the battlefield, and the soldier asked him, will God really turn out to be like Jesus? Yes, he will, because he really is like Jesus. Thomas Torrance goes on to write this, there is no unknown God behind the back of Jesus for us to fear. To see the Lord Jesus is to see the very face of God. 
You see, the king Hannah longed to see anointed, the Virgin Mary has carried in her womb, and we, by God's grace, get to behold his face through faith in him. The king became a helpless baby. Why? Not so that we would fear him, but so that we would draw near to him. And may that be our hope for today. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for this miracle, for you taking on human flesh and being made like us in every way. Lord God, we are unworthy of this great gift. We're unworthy of all your gifts, but especially that you are the gift itself. Would you strengthen our hearts and help us to live in ways that reflect the goodness of these songs, that reflect the truths of these songs, to make us a kind of community that embodies the things that Hannah and Mary sang about. Thank you for including us into your kingdom. When we were left in darkness and going, in, going our own way, you did not leave us. You pursued us and you have brought us in. So Lord, may we offer this same hope to others around us each day. In your name we pray, amen.